When the Puritans first landed in Massachusetts, writes the poet Lewis Hyde, they discovered something curious about the natives' feelings for property, so much so that they felt compelled to give it a name. In 1764, when Thomas Hutchison wrote his history of the colony, the term had already an old, the term was already an old saying. An Indian gift, he wrote, is a proverbial expression signifying a present for which an equivalent return is expected. Imagine a scene. An Englishman comes into a Native American lodge and his hosts, wishing to make their guests feel welcome, ask, um, ask him to share a pipe of tobacco. The pipe itself is a peace offering that has traditionally circulated among the local tribes, staying in each lodge for a time, but always given away again eventually. And so the local Wampanoags, which is the native tribe there on Cape Cod and the South Shore, the Wampanoags among them, as is only polite in that culture, um, they give this pipe to the guest when he departs. And the Englishman is delighted. He takes it home and he sets it on the mantelpiece. Now, as time passes, the leaders of the neighboring tribe come to visit the colonists' home. To his surprise, he finds that his guests have some expectations regarding his pipe when his translator finally explains to him that if he wishes to demonstrate his goodwill, he should offer them a smoke and give them the pipe. In consternation, the Englishman invents a phrase to describe these people with such a limited view of private property, and we know the phrase. The Indian gift giver understood that the cardinal property of the gift is whatever we have been given is supposed to be given away again, not kept. In fact, Hyde concludes, it is best if the gift is not returned, but is given instead to some new third party. The essential is this. The gift must always move. I want to talk this morning about money and about gift giving, and particularly about our mission fund drive, which will kick off in the coming few days and couple of weeks. Whenever I need money and I need to meditate about it, I begin by reviewing the little book called The Seven Laws of Money by Michael Phillips, a banking, a banker rather, instrumental in developing Master Charge and a fundraiser par excellence. And here are Phillips' seven laws. Number one, do it. Money will come when you're doing the right thing. Two, money has its own rules, records, budgets, savings, borrowing, and if you're going to, it behooves you to learn those rules, at least rudimentary. Three, money is a dream. It's a fantasy. People who go after it as though it were real and tangible orient their lives in a way that changes their personality. And, um, 
it's kind of unavoidable. And four, money is not only a dream, money is a nightmare. Jail, robbery, fears of poverty. Five, you can never really give money away. And number six, it's corollary, you can never really receive money as a gift. And seven, there are worlds without money. I'm sure you've all seen number four at work, money is a nightmare, jail, robbery, poverty, and so on, or fears of it. Eighty, And there's reason, 80% of those in prison are there for money-related crimes. Others live in self-imposed exile because they're afraid of being used by con men if it becomes known that they're well off at all. Some of you probably are skeptical about the the first law, do it, and if it's the right thing, uh, money will come. But um, if it's the wrong thing, you're likely to find that out pretty fast, too. My favorite is law number seven. There are worlds without money. Yes, there are. Like every night in our dream world, there's no money, or there might be money in a dream, but you never are obligated to spend it. But here, in the day-to-day world of prosaic facts and ledger sheets, we have money, and you need to pay attention. Still, people are always nervous about it, almost always. My dad, a member of the Naval Reserve, regularly used to remind us that a naval officer never talked about religion, politics, or money at the dinner table. I suspect most of you have read UUA consultant Rachel Maxwell's report on appropriate staffing levels here at East Shore. If not, I encourage you to check it out on our website. We need to get past my father's naval gentleman mentality and learn how to address the serious matter of running this church openly and unapologetically with wisdom and prudence. Many Unitarian Universalists feel guilty and insecure when talking about money. Ralph Waldo Emerson was not. In his essay, Nominalist and Realist, Emerson declared, Money, which represents the prose of life and which is hardly spoken of in parlors without apology, is in its effects and laws as beautiful as roses. Emerson's understanding of money arose from quite a different mindset than many people's who might hold it to be the root of all evil. Emerson realized what few of his own era were willing to understand, that money is a brilliantly conceived human invention, and only when its use is perverted is it the root of anything evil. Emerson is also right about the beauty of roses, if they are tended by a caring and attentive gardener. Similarly, the money system, if it is to blossom as a human It's a beautiful human invention. It depends on a society of caring and well-informed human beings. In a society that encourages uh, greed, on the other hand, the money system, like an untended rose garden, can be perverted rapidly. 
Consider the illegal and unconstitutional July 2019 telephone call President Trump made to Ukrainian President Zelensky, in which he dangled $400 million in military aid in return for a little favor of opening an investigation into the business activities of his rival Joe Biden's son, Hunter. A perfect example of law number five. You can never really receive money as a gift. I mean, it's not, there's always a catch, an addendum, a codicil, a little favor that comes with it. There's another way, of course, when a gift is used and passed on, it is not used up. Quite the opposite, in fact. The gift is not passed, that is not passed along is lost, while the one passing along remains uh, a source of abundance. There's an old Scottish folk ta- legend about three sisters who successively go forth to seek their fortunes. In each case, the mother offers her daughters a choice, a smaller or a larger piece of bread to carry along. The two older girls went for the larger portion and upon opportunities that presented themselves chose not to share it. They were nourished only while they ate. The third child shares her smaller piece with the birds and critters of the field who in turn share gifts with her. What is given away feeds again and again while what is kept feeds only once, and leaves hungry, all of us. This is an inexplicable law, I believe, of the universe. Cast your bread upon the waters, we read in the Bible, and it will return sevenfold and more. And it's not just material goods that are at play here. It's our other gifts as well, our talent or our beauty or our intelligence. As St. Paul points out in his first letter to the Corinthians, for what have you that you did not receive as a gift? If you then received it, why do you boast of it as if it were not a gift? The law of karma states it very clearly. What goes around comes around, including life and the ability to remain open to its beauty, its bounty, and its wonder. Those who choose to affirm that life itself is a gift and who remain open to the experiences that will bear out that affirmation also need ways to ensure that their gifts will always keep moving. That's because when it stops moving, it ceases to be a gift and becomes a weight, a burden, an albatross almost. This, according to the poet Lewis Hyde, is what the indigenous Wampanoags tried to teach the earliest Puritans and settlers. For their efforts, they were rewarded with a well-known pejorative, if not racist, epithet that we all know. Okay. So. The mission fund drive. The mission fund drive is about to begin, and here's my simple theology of giving. Life has been given to us by that which is greater than we know, 
And for it to remain a gift, it must remain on the move. We do that by sharing what we have and what we can with those we love and care about, those to whom we choose to extend our lives. We have also created institutions whose purpose is to nurture, enhance, and enhance this gift of life and to carry its promise and possibilities forward from one generation to the next and across distances that we may nurture and enhance the lives of others beyond our personal sphere. East Shore Unitarian Church is now over 71 years old. Your pledges to the 2022-23 Mission Fund Drive offer the church opportunities to keep the gift and to keep life in this church moving for another 71 or more years into the future by supporting the institution you've created to nurture and sustain these gifts. Let it be so, and let us celebrate that with a successful 22-23 canvas. Amen.